Welcome to Rogue Table Talks, so named by Jacob. Not to be confused with Rogue Tabletops, right. which may be an actual right. thing. That's <laughs> a good thing. Sounds good also. Uh, so we are, again, uh, going to kind of talk our way through uh, some of what we're going to talk about. We've talked about this weekend and the message and then sort of go wherever that goes, stuff that we didn't get a chance to talk about, uh, perhaps in the message or stuff that we thought about. Uh, and then kind of uh, how does that impact us? How does that intersect with our culture, with the gospel? Uh, and so we are talking about, we're elephants in the living room, we're talking about favoritism. Mm -hmm. uh, and I would say favoritism probably in some way or another impacts most families, if not all families, if not most human relationships, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, I think maybe with all of these uh, topics with the elephants, they're all there in some size for every family yeah. to some degree. But yeah. definitely, I think favoritism, because, you know, why? Well, all love is broken to a certain degree. Right. So... You know, my brokenness is going to come out in different ways and it's going to come out in, in some way in every part of my life. Certainly how I love is going to be impacted by that as well. Um, and so as we talk about these elephants in the living room, you know, we, the point isn't to say um, shame on you for having elephants. It's more to say everyone has elephants. Can we admit that? Can we mm -hmm. identify them? And can we begin to move redemptively uh, sort of against those or toward each other? Or how do we apply God's grace? How do we forgive the hurts and so on from all of those things that are common to families? Yeah, I think probably the, sh you know, hey, it's not shame on you. And then the other side for the other listener who's, you know, potentially listening is, um, Hey, it's okay. Like you have elephants. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't pretend. You, yeah, yeah. Don't pretend. Don't think you don't, um, don't deny so much. Yeah. Like they're there. Right. And those it's bad right. people with elephants. I'm right. glad I'm not one of those. Yeah. That, yeah. Jesus told a parable about <clears throat> that at some point, I think. So the, the, the passage has to do with Joseph, uh, Joseph being the favorite, Joseph getting the coat, Joseph giving a bad report about his brothers. Uh, you know, Joseph, in a sense, uh, Joseph having the dreams and telling his brothers and his family about the dreams. So he seems to be uh, chosen by God for something special. Mm -hmm. And and then the brothers hate him, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so when you read that story, so what does that do to... Uh, what does that do to you? I mean, as you begin to reflect on that situation, what emotions does that spur what's interesting i just thought like okay if i'm in the story and i'm not joseph i'm probably with the brothers i hate right. that guy too super understandable yeah because if you you know and psychologists will say this like you don't let the two-year-old run the house mm -hmm. you don't let the two you don't right. indulge the two-year-old right. with every want that they have when they cry out because they're expressing their like you know, tyrant stage. Right. Right. But when you do, and let's say you got 20 years of that. Yeah. And then that's, you know, the kind of the worst case scenario, favoritism. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes that guy. Right. 
nobody, nobody can get along with that person because right. somebody's just, you know, you look at the kid, you're like, oh, you obviously weren't disciplined as a child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm with it. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's easy to side with Joseph sometimes, but you're like, um, I don't know if I'd get along with you. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, Joseph, uh, you know, the, ta- the tables turn on Joseph and he is subject to unjust mm-hmm. persecution for many, many years and decades and so on. Um, uh, and so I think that's, you know, I think from, if I'm one of Joseph's brothers, um, can I trust that God will, he's got it all figured out and I don't have to balance the books. I don't have to whatever, because we don't know what other people's stories are. And it's easy for us to tell a happier story about somebody, about somebody else. Um, so favoritism was, I mean, I, I can remember, I think it's one of those things that, so we're both parents. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, my kids are a little older than yours, so we didn't have any favoritism raising our kids, correct? Obviously. So right. we're, check, talking check that box. we're talking to you all other people, with your right? elephants. But so I think it's harder to, for us to see as a parent my favoritism towards other, to, towards my kids, one way or the other, or what that might have looked like, or potentially how that played out. Uh, but I certainly can see it in my family of origin, because yeah. you have again a lot of these elephants you can see first in the family you grew up in. Yeah. And so we all grew up in a family. We not all of us have kids, but we all grew up in a family. And so we all experienced some level of favoritism. And so you can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you just made me think it's, it's, it's natural tendency. If you start to reflect, it's natural tendency to say it's easier to look backwards than to look inward. Like, yes. oh, I'm distanced from my family of origin. Wow. It's really clear now. Mm-hmm. Like they liked my brother, my yeah. sister better um, or didn't, uh, but, but me and my kids, oh no, like I love all of them the same. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I grew up and, you know, I think my, actually think my parents treated us both pretty, what I would say fairly is similar amounts of, you know, Christmas presents and time spent together. And if we said, Hey, we want a skateboard ramp, my dad takes us to Home Depot and we build a skateboard ramp or he's coaching us in sports. So there wasn't like obvious favoritism. Uh, we, you know, we all had our own struggles cause all love's broken, but my brother, my older brother, um, he, he took a more like, you know, made, made some choices eighth, ninth grade year that obviously they had consequences to him. And because of that, and because of the kind of choices that he made, he, we, we laugh about it now. And so we're, uh, we have good, good relationship, I would say. And he would say, yeah, but you were the favorite one. Well, I don't know if I was the favorite one. I just didn't get in trouble mm-hmm. a lot. Right. I just knew how to fly under the radar to yeah. be like, oh yeah, well, I'm not going to get in trouble because mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever that is. But, uh, so even if it's a misperception, there's this perception of, well, I got attention, but I was always getting in trouble. And so therefore right. it's yeah. it, it. And here's the thing all emotions are valid because they're your emotions, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they're always true or reality. Mm-hmm. Like right. he can have that experience of favor. Really what he felt. That's doesn't what he felt. mean. That's what the reality. That's was. true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, same way. I think, um, I was in some ways seen as, and it wasn't a big thing cause it wasn't necessarily seen as hugely favorable. Uh, but I was a favorite of our stepmom because I just didn't fight with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would watch the other siblings fight with her and I just thought, well, this obviously is not going to work. It's obviously not working. 
So there's always the one kid who quickly figures it out. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You guys are. Thank you for showing me that. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you for me opening door number one. I'm going to choose door number two. Um, But we have, so I have a, uh, our youngest brother uh, is actually, I mean, we just treated him as our brother. He's actually half brother. So he's uh, my father and stepmom's son. And she treated him differently. So she uh, singled him out and so on in a way that wasn't totally positive for him then. And it's certainly, he resents it now. I mean, she's long dead and he resents it now because it separated him from, mm. from us in a Treated way. Like, like, oh, you're my yeah. son. And so therefore, I mean, she never said that, but it was, but it was that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, just, she was, you know, obviously more worried about him or concerned about him or whatever. Um, and since she was our stepmom and that she came along later, it was a different sort of feeling. I don't know that we necessarily felt that deficit, but he, he did in a way that he, you know, he, he felt he suffered the most from his own hmm. favoritism. Uh, and so that's where I think all, I mean, human love is broken. So, you know, we're all going to love not well in some way. And so can we name that and can we move, you know, towards, mm-hmm. towards redemption? Um, I think that one of the ways that I've seen, so with people, with adults, you know, there are adults that everything has to be completely equal. I mean, like you're almost keeping score. And I almost wonder if that goes back to feeling shortchanged as a child. Mm. I just, I definitely don't want to do that now. So like almost this way of, I'm going to, I'm going to strategize against favoritism, which maybe we'll get to, but it seems like more of a deeper issue than some type of external right. strategy, yeah. but I'm going to strategize against it. For example, Christmas present budget, you yeah. know, yeah. To the penny, whatever, bucks might, whatever, right, it is. whatever it is to the penny. I think, so there's some of that that can be healthy, but we can, we, our own unhealthiness can infect anything that we do. Uh, and I, I would say, as I've reflected on this, you know, this issue, I think if I felt the, the, the brunt of it, you know, if, if you think about somebody who is not favored, it seems like at the deepest level, what they're saying is I wasn't loved well, Yeah. because if I'm loved well and you're, you're, you loving and you're gracious and you know me and you enjoy me. And it seems like you also love somebody else differently in the family and you love them or whatever. The, the differences between the two, I'm not so concerned with because I'm feeling loved. And it's, it's only when I'm feeling bereft of love that I'm looking at you and thinking you're getting more than I'm getting. And you're getting more food because I'm hungry. And if I'm full, I don't care if you're getting more food, or at least I don't care as much. Or I'm not even really paying attention. Do you think that's, there's some element of, I'm just not, I don't feel loved well. And so this is one expression of that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think... Uh, I don't know if it's some type of uh, maneuver to uh, protect ourselves from feeling that, but it's almost like the comparison is now a defense mechanism. Like, well, I wasn't loved as good as that person. I make that person the enemy when really what I'm saying is I didn't feel loved well. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a much harder thing to say. It is hard. It is harder. Like, oh, and what does that mean for me? Um, or what, what do I feel because of that? Because if I can like be angry or bitter, um, and live in my comparison state, that's, it's, it's a really helpful strategy to Mm -hmm. like 
stop from feeling the deeper grief of like, oh, right. no, I just didn't feel loved perfectly. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody on the planet that doesn't feel that to some degree. I think that's right. I think it's universal that we all have a sense of, yeah, I, the, you know, I wish this would have been different. I wish I would have had more time with them doing this or that or the other thing. Uh, it, but the more that I can come to, to peace with that, uh, in particular, the more that I can not necessarily see God's love through that lens, the more I can be at peace and the more I can actually allow myself to see when I fall short, when I'm loving people. Yeah. I think that's often one of the byproducts is I don't want to identify this. This was painful to me and I will, I don't want to identify as this. And so I'll never see it even though it's there. Yeah. Cause I, I think it's in, to some degree, I don't want to make excuses for favoritism, but to some degree it's almost unavoidable. We're human. You're going to have more in common with this person than that. You're going to have more common interests or whatever. And so if I can admit it now, I can say, well, what, how do I want to, you know, redeem that? How do I rectify it? How do I move against it? If I pretend it's not true, then I can actually be perpetuating. Yeah. And I think that's true. So I think there's the parent who's in general, um, they're decently loving, they're decently mm -hmm. patient, da, 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 da. And then I think there's another layer of depth. When you look at the Joseph story, it seems like there's something else, right. another type of favoritism. Right. I'd asked you this earlier, and I, I think I may have come to some type of answer, but you can help. I said, you know, what, what's the, what is the root of that? And what's maybe the, uh, like the sin issue there in the fallen heart. Um, and I think it could be this, it could be favoritism reveals that I've made an idol of this person mm -hmm. that I've idolized mm -hmm. them and mm -hmm. who they are yeah. or what they can do for me. Like, Oh, yeah. you can meet my need. You make me feel like I'm a really good parent. Mm -hmm. And so I can lift you up and you're successful or I live vicariously through you. And when you, um, idolize somebody, um, so kind of sympathetic to Joseph, uh, it's actually very oppressive to that person right. because yeah. then there's this underlying agreement of you keep coming through for me so that I can use you as an idol to answer my yeah. deeper question. I don't know. What do you think? about? No, that? I think that's right. I think that plays into our, our culture of achievement and our culture of achievement in the American family as well is the unspoken expectation is you're going to achieve. You're going to make the team. You're going to make the club team. You're going to make the top club team. You're going to get an A. You're going to take the AP courses. Um, in, in that way, I'm going to reinforce that positive behavior in such a way as to maybe come across as that's really why I'm, you know, that's, that's the, that's the price you're paying for my positive attention. And it becomes really a, a spiral that of that's somewhat just cause you, you never can live up. And you're always afraid of failing. And mm -hmm. so you can't fail because I'll make my parents look bad. I'll be a failure. I'll be less loved or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't admit them to, to that because we've got an agreement. So I've got to see them as a success all the time. And I think that is a way in which it plays out in a family that intersects with our culture of achievement, that it is impressive to like, you're the good kid. You're the kid who gets good grades. You're the kid everybody likes. So you're really not allowed to have any problems, yeah. you know, that I have to, because my sibling has problems. And so I'm almost resentful of my sibling with problems because I can't have any problems. I have to be the good one. That's my role. Unspoken is that's how I'm getting my love. 
Yeah. Right. And, and I think a lot of that, these are, this is, um, you know, uh, unconscious often, these are unconscious levels of movement that if we were confronted with them kind of point blank, we might say, Oh, no way. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want that. I don't do that. But these are unconscious. This, this, this is, it can be, uh, in the dynamic that's Mm -hmm. created. And, uh, and it's hard. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we're omniscient when we come to the story of Joseph. Yeah. But they're not. Right. This is playing out yeah. for them in real they're time. They're like us in our story. And right. Us in our right. story. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that hopefully one of the goals of this series is to get, uh, get uh, give us permission to say, not do I have this element, but to what extent is this elephant impacting or has impacted me before? Has it impacted me now? And how do I move against it? Mm-hmm. To give some permission to say, yeah, you probably have some level of this. You know, what do we do about it? Um, and some of it is, again, somewhat baked, baked into the cake of our, you know, the way we deal with people and the way we interact with people and uh, enjoy people and, and so on. Um, and for me, I think part of what's, I think, interesting to me, so you, we have this idea of a scorecard in a way where we want things to be even. We have this idea of achievement um, where I'll be good, I'll achieve, I'll get positive recognition. And I confuse that with actually that's what love is. Or no, I'm rejected because I'm not good. You know, you're the favorite because you get A's. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we deal then with God's love, which is completely grace. It's completely not achievement oriented. You know, how do we like the workers in the field? Like, you know, I worked all, I worked all day and you worked 20 minutes. We get paid the same amount. That's not fair. You seem like the favorite. Like, what do we do with that when it comes to God's grace? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I'm just reminded of the story of someone interpreting that parable, and, and uh, <laughs> they give an analogy to kids, and they're like, "Oh yeah, well, uh, you know, you do ten jumping jacks, and you do twenty jumping jacks, and you do fifty jumping jacks, and they pay the kids the same amount, <laughs> despite like how many right. jumping jacks." And the kids who did, uh, you know, fifty are furious. Like grace, like kind of like offends you to some degree of like, well, wait a second. Right. I've been working hard. Right. (laughs) I've been doing my diligence. Right. So I, I, you know, what do we do with that? I'm, I'm a pretty cynical person just in general. So my view first is to say, well, we probably don't get it. Like we probably don't get grace in general. We, because we're so true. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're so like on the behavioral level of if I do good, then I feel good and someone's proud of me. If I do bad, I feel bad and someone's disappointed in me. Yes. And we take that and we project that. And maybe to our own detriment, we kind of, um, you know, kind of uh, exponentially like, oh, we'll just times a hundred. And that's what God is like. Cause he's right. like me, right. only bigger and right. infinite and more powerful. So then he must be really happy and really loving when I'm this and well, I don't mm-hmm. know what's the other. So I don't know. I think maybe admitting that I'm probably don't understand what grace is like, what unconditional love is like, what God doesn't have this. Oh, you did a good job. So you're a favorite. You were the easy kid. 
Right. Yeah. I don't know if God has that in right. his vocabulary. Right. Yes. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Cause I think, um, in this really, this dynamic, I think plays out for all of these elephant in the, in the living room, you know, things that we're talking about is, you know, when you think of Jesus's life, the people who fell at his feet and worshiped him and were most at home with him and most comfortable with him were the people whose sin wasn't, couldn't be covered up. It was obvious. It was out in the open. And so all they had was grace and the people who most conflicted with him were the people who were trying to maintain, trying to achieve, trying to earn God's favor by being good people. I think, I do think that we can obviously make bad choices and we mm -hmm. can bring bad consequences. Sure. There are bad choices and bad consequences in this story. Um, but, but it's like grace cuts across all of that because God saves all of them in the end. Uh, nobody gets what they deserve. You know, yep. basically Joseph gets to basically rule the world and the rest of the family is saved from you know, starvation and they're, you know, they're blessed and they move down to Goshen and all, all of that, all that happens. It's like grace. It's not as the, you know, I don't want to say it doesn't matter how you live or it doesn't matter what choices you make. You know, none of that matters. It does matter. Mm -hmm. Of course mm -hmm. we are, we, we have agency, we, you know, we're God, you know, we have free wills and we're, we're image bearers. So that matters, but like grace cuts across it, like in a whole nother dimension yeah. that grace overpowers all of that, you know, eventually that's kind of where getting back to being loved well, like if I really, you know, Christ died for me on the mm -hmm, cross, mm -hmm. you know, he showed his love for me in such a gigantic way that if in the moment it appears like he loves you a little more, like the differences are microscopic. If I'm really seeing it in the, in the big picture, mm -hmm. you know, like the King who forgave the huge amount and didn't forgive the small amount. Like we, if we really wrestle with God's grace to us, we would feel loved. We mm -hmm. would understand in our bones. We are loved. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these issues would go away. And I think, because these issues haven't gone away and we all deal with them at some level, it means we still, we are still struggling was with what it means to be an, an object of God's grace. Yeah. It's just completely undeserving and just completely helpless and just, you know, completely dead and, and had to be brought to life by him. And if I really wrestle with that, then, Hey, that somebody else is getting a good deal. And that's the story in the parable, you know, that you worked 10, 10 minutes and got paid the same amount as me. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't get a bad deal. Right. You know, I didn't get a bad deal. And I, and it's like that story has always struck me as saying, don't compare your, you don't know their deal. Mm -hmm. Don't compare your deal to their deal. Um, appreciate your deal. Yeah. Yeah. Celebrate your deal. Everyone in under grace is getting a greater deal than we ever deserve. Way, 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 way greater. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think it's so fundamentally, um, small of us when we do this and I do this, but we're just locked in the comparisons. Yes, we are. And it keeps us so stuck. And it's like this machine with so much energy around it. Like, I wonder if we just relaxed a bit mm -hmm. and kind of like, talked ourselves back off the ledge of, well, you know, I was unloved and I was this and I was that. And therefore I'm going to try to control and get love and coerce love mm -hmm. 
as opposed to, um, okay, I was, I wasn't loved perfectly. Can I grieve that? Can I feel that? Can I name that? And yet like, does that really define me? Right. Is that the whole, is that the totality and the complexity of who I am? Mm -hmm. Or can I hold that in, in light of no and, and I was loved perfectly mm -hmm. by someone right. and, and am loved perfectly right. by someone. Right. And I think that's, that's the gap. There's a gap because of sin of theoretical truth and experiential truth. And I, I think that as we grow closer to being with Jesus, that gap shrinks a bit, mm -hmm. but I'm loved perfectly in theory doesn't always mean that I feel it every minute of right. the day. Yeah. That doesn't mean there's a flaw in the truth. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean there's a flaw in me necessarily. Um, it just means that's the reality of we live in an alienated world. Well, and that's where faith comes in, mm -hmm. right? That's mm -hmm. being way I have to accept by faith that I'm loved perfectly God, by God when I don't feel like it because I'm not always going to yeah. feel like it. And I do think the comparison thing is interesting and it sets another fascinating dynamic the more you think about it because if we are, we always compare in one direction. Mm -hmm. We compare up. Right. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. If, you, if you compare us materially to 95% of the world, they can't believe we think we have any problems. Yeah. Right? I, it blows my mind when my kids are like, ah, oh, we don't have a big house. Right. I'm like, what are you talking about? Right. Like <laughs> I never grew up thinking I would have a house this size. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's, in, but it's, it's incurable in us. Like we're always comparing up because somebody, and the, the reality is somebody always does appear to have a better deal than right. we do. Uh, and whatever that is. And usually we're somewhat wrong about that. Mm -hmm. Having grown up in a, in a big house uh, with a dad who was a doctor and it probably looked good from the outside, but I would have traded with anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's the God's honest truth. I would have traded with anybody. Um, and so you don't actually know what, what you're comparing. So you're comparing to a picture of something you think somebody has when really, if you really knew that they're, they're comparing someone yep. to, um, but I do feel like there's this sense of whatever it is that I work X and I'm somehow I'm getting shortchanged when really materially in so many different ways, we're blessed in so many different ways that yeah. we don't appreciate. We take for granted what we think is coming to us. And all of that seems to blunt our appreciation of grace. Like I should have none of this. Mm -hmm. If it's up, you know, if it's up to what I'm earning, I should have none of this. Mm. Uh, and even people, you know, who are, you know, all of God's common grace to us isn't even that, you know, that we have a beautiful sunrise to look at that, you know, it was a cool day and I could enjoy the flowers this morning. None of that I have coming to me. Well, that, that, that reminds me of like the, yeah, on that level, even a favoritism of uh, Jesus statement in the gospels of, yeah, but he makes his reign to fall and his son to shine on the righteous and the wicked. Right. So this common grace of family and friends and food and creation that everybody gets to partake in is, is, is again, this, I don't know, God revealing and subverting favoritism in mm -hmm. us. And I thought of another word that I, I don't know. We like to use it a lot. Um, it's, it's offensive in our culture, I think. Um, right. Well, no, we'll bleep it out. Yeah, we'll we'll say, are you out. ready? That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what do I, like, what do I do to protect myself from feeling, uh, the grief of not being loved well? Well, I compare, 
you know, there's a form of favoritism. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not favorite because I'm not the favorite because of that. But what do I need to compare? I need a sense of entitlement. And there's this other kind of like connective tool that is embedded with favoritism of like, well, I should have. Yes. Like I deserve this, this promotion, this type of behavior I deserve. You know, I remember coming on staff early on it was helpful to have some people say, you know, some of you are going to come on and you think, well, the person ahead of me, my leader, whatever, they need to, they need to mentor me. They need to be like a mentor or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, you know, you got to release your expectations Mm -hmm. because we all have this sense of entitlement that kind of plays with this idea of favoritism. You see it in Joseph. You see this play out like, oh, I'm entitled because of X, Y, Z. Yeah. I think there's a tiny root of that that knows that we're children of heaven and that we're you know wired for Eden, we're wired for heaven, and we know that our heart is wired for a bunch of stuff that's in our destiny as believers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we want to move that forward and have it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is, for me, the more insecure I am, the more entitled I feel. Absolutely. Right? So the more secure I am and who God, what God's given me and how much he loves me and I, I feel his grace and I'm really, I can appreciate his love for me, then I don't necessarily, he doesn't owe me anything else mm-hmm. because I'm reveling in what I have. And if I'm insecure about what I have, then I feel like, hey, I, something's wrong. And because there's this distance between us and heaven, there's always going to be, and like we, you know, the Bible talks about, we groan now. And I think one way we react to that groaning is to feel like I'm getting a raw deal. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I need more. Yeah. And there's a part of that that's true. We were, we are made for more. Uh, it's just, can we run to God and rest in Him and find our more there? Or do are we frantically out trying to either knock someone else down or bring ourselves up to get more? Uh, you know, think of the illustration of two people sitting in cubicles next to each other and doing the same job and having completely different experiences mm-hmm. internally. Okay. They're both going to work. They're both doing the same job, but one of them, uh, is miserable and they're entitled they're miserable like i you know i hate this i shouldn't have done this or i deserve this or so and so blah 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 but the other person doing it and i think of the counterpart of entitlement uh which i think some people need to hear is deservability to me they're they're two different moves Mm -hmm. they're two different things the entitled person is oh i'm insecure and i need this answer to like that like validate me legitimize me and my gifts and who i am the deservability person is like, I'm secure in who I am mm-hmm. and what I've been called to do. And I don't mind saying that, but I don't necessarily need that to like make me the you right. know, complete person. Yes. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. I'm, it's, 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 it, it's the same on the outside, but inside it's to me, it's. Uh, yeah, that's right. I do think it's interesting because it makes me think of. Uh, I was an engineer uh, working for McDonnell Douglas and some of the people I worked with, it was kind of funny that they sort of felt like, it seemed like they felt like every part of their job that they had to do was like burdensome, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and it's like, "Ah, I got to do this. 
And I'm like, dude, they're paying you to, to do that. I mean, it's like, you know, five days a week, eight hours a day. That's sort of the bare minimum requirement. That's what they're paying you for. So, but the, you know, like the guy would do really probably three or four hours of real work a day and groan his way through it. Yeah. And how miserable is that? Yeah. And what is that really saying? It's, you know, I should be above this, which really is a sense of, you know, I'm not content in who I am. I'm not happy right now or with who I am. And I think people growing up, people going to work or living, sitting in the same cubicle and having completely different experiences. That happens in families too, of course, right. Right? right? We grew up in the same family, but I felt this and you felt that. Well, some of that is due to a broken environment, but some of that is due, I gotta own. Yeah. Some of that, I gotta own. I mean, you know, Joseph's brothers here, they're adults when they sell them into, you know, they're culpable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're, they're not, um, victims of abuse that we completely understand what, you know, okay, well, understand their motivation, yeah. but they own it. They have to own it here. Right. At some point, and that can't be off the hook. Right. And I think that's for us. I mean, I think we all know people in their thirties, forties, fifties who are still living, blaming yeah. their parents for their own, like at some point you got to own it. Yeah. I think what we've done with the gift of modern psychology is, is, has not always been helpful. Mm -hmm of like, okay, that might actually reveal something about yeah, that me might be and where my it came past, from, right? right. For the purpose of yeah, taking responsibility right. Right. of growing up, right. not of, I'm going to, I'm going to look back and say, well, right. see, uh, they didn't treat me that yeah. well. Cause so. the other people in my life need me to grow up. They need me to grow they, up. They don't care about, you know, yeah. my family of origin as much as I do. You know, they just need me to grow up. This is their family of origin. It's my kid's family of origin. So. <laughs> Saving for therapy in yes. the future for the right. kids. That's right. But I think that's true. Like, um, if I can, it, what, okay, which person in the, in the cubicle am I at home? Yeah. Right. And, yes. and, and, and you know this, like right. if you're, if you're the breadwinner, male or female, whatever that is, if you're the breadwinner, like, what is it like for you to drive home? Do you feel yourself? dreading it, tightening up? Do you feel yourself like, Oh, like this? Um, and you might, Do you think everyone's felt that before? <laughs> I'm not speaking I mean, from not experience. Me, not you. No, I've never felt I that. I think Jacob has. <laughs> Some, everyone else. Somebody else yes. has. But like, like, okay. So is it possible that in the living room, the most important thing I can do is answer my own questions right, right. for agency right. that I, that, okay, I got a, I feel like I got a bum deal. Everybody does, mm -hmm. right? You, you were the unfavorite yeah. or you were the favorite yeah. and that was yeah. pressure right. that, but yeah. okay, now yeah. you're 30, you're 40, you're 50, you have to take yeah. responsibility. And yeah. to me, that's the best thing. Um, any of these elephants, if you don't, name them or get any traction with them, you will perpetuate them future in some way, in some way, in some way. And you That's may right. all, you may anyways, yes. but you'll, you'll, yeah. you definitely will perpetuate the elephants in your kid's living mm -hmm. room and they'll be having yep. a series in church 30 yes. years from now. Right. right. Talking about you talking about you. Right. Um, which I get, I think to me brings me back again, I think to God and our relationship with him, because I feel like some, one of the elephants, that people have, it's maybe in their, not in their living room, or maybe it's in their, their heart of hearts is they actually have resentment with God mm -hmm. that this shouldn't have happened to me because bad stuff happens to people. Yeah. 
I mean, people, you know, the 17 people listening to this, you know, right now. Or what do we go from four to yeah, 17 in two um, weeks? <laughs> you know, somebody's people have had really bad experiences, mm-hmm. really, you know, heavy brokenness has inflicted them. And it's, it's very easy to get to a place where you're resentful of God for mm. letting that happen. And that shows that he favors other, whatever. And it actually would be super healthy if you could actually name that mm-hmm. and say, yeah. you know what, deep down, I feel like I got a wrong good deal, God. Yeah. What's up with that, right? Yeah. And I think, in fact, I remember I had to do that at some point. I, like I wrote a letter to God because it's like, what happened? Mm. But until that time, and I was probably 40, or more, uh, I didn't send the letter. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, How did you? <laughs> a lot of postage. Postage. Um, well, now you just tweet it. And yeah, it's yeah. Out there. Right, just put it out there. So I just think I think that I didn't give myself permission to say I felt like. Yeah, I can say this and that, and my dad and my stepmom and my mom and this and the other. But at some level, I felt like, where was God? Yeah, and the reality is he he did not intervene. He didn't prevent it from happening. He didn't prevent that's, it from that happening. Is that's the most, that's honest. Yes. That's real. Yeah. I was born into this place. I didn't have a choice. Right. That's and, right. Right. you know, could have right. gave me another What's family. Up? Yeah, What's up? So that, so yeah. it's dishonest to say, well, it's, you know, God, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. But I think that's a really good example of, okay, um, the root here is maybe there's this cosmic, you know, elephant in the living room between yes. me and God. Yeah. And I got to tackle that. I mean, you think of Joseph in the, in the prison. Oh my goodness. I mean like, okay, so, gets, okay. So I got a coat, I got some dreams. Right. I yeah. said a few words. Yeah. Right. Yes. I agree. I'll own that, but <laughs> I've been sold into slavery. Yeah. I'm in prison for whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't do anything. No. I mean, right. you know, she, she right. approached me. I said, no, right. And everything right. right. And then boom. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think that's, you know, can we be more like the psalmists who then bring all of their sense of being wronged to God mm-hmm. and then say at the end, okay, but I got to trust you. Yeah. And I think that's so much healthier. And again, all of that is true and God's grace is deeper than I can, than I can fathom. And mm-hmm. can I sort of hold both of those and, and say, you know what? Yes. Bad stuff has happened. Honestly, you know, how much bad, how much pain have I inflicted on other people in my life? And, you know, again, I want to compare in one direction and, you know, I hope I've got, has God's grace for me there and has God's grace to redeem that over there. Uh, and I have to say, you know, um, you know, and yet I'll trust God and believe in his grace and have faith. And at that point I can maybe look outward more Mm -hmm. and not be so distracted with my, Mm-hmm. whatever it is I'm, I'm saying instead of the elephant that's in my heart. Yeah. And I think it's, it's important wherever we are with our, with our family, whether we're, you know, still younger, um, living with our family of origin or we're out of the house single, or we have our own family now and our kids have a family of origin. Um, to me, it's important to remember your story's not done. Mm-hmm. It's not over. Right. You may feel like, uh, you're locked into something, you're stuck and this will never change. But I'm sure Joseph in, you know, uh, 
uh, slavery and Potiphar's house and the prison. Like he, he couldn't see the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet how do we use that as mm-hmm. an injection of hope? The story's not right. over. So therefore right. like each day I have a choice. Right. So I can throw my hands up and say, you know, in resentment and defeat, or it seems like what Joseph was doing instead was he believed the dream he had originally. Yeah. And we can say that I don't know how that's going to come true, but you know, I know that I will be with the Lord that he will wipe every tear that all of this will be redeemed. Don't see how that's going to happen, but I'm leaving that to God and I'm going to believe in his grace and I'm going to have faith and I'm going to believe that he's got something for me. That's more than this. Yeah. Uh, and I think lots of times we don't all, we don't always see what that is, uh, like Joseph got to see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enough on that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) That might be my favoritismist. Yes. That's the favorite of our, of our podcasts (laughs) for now. Well, we increased our listeners by 200%. Many percentage. Yes. Um, well until next week when we do know what we're talking about next week. Uh, is it uh, bitterness and unforgiveness? I don't know. It's the pleasantest of pleasant oh, topics. Man, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, what? You were at St. Charles last week, so yeah. you had to do. We had to do the old secrets and secrets. David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Congrats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll just keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. <laughs> Till next time. Thanks for listening to Rogue Table Talks, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.